Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. We have been going through this book. We continue with our exposition through these verses. Today we will be focusing on verse 17. But then I'm going to read the whole chapter for the sake of context. We will consider that one verse there, verse 17. If you're there with me, please hear the authoritative word of God. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it, it is even sorry, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, 
Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That is the word of God. I'm going to make a prayer, and then we will consider verse 17. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you knowing that we are unable to understand your word, your will, apart from your Holy Spirit. We pray that you may open our eyes, that we may see the glimpses of truth that you have for us. That you may place in our hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set us free. So then silently now, Lord, we wait for you. We are ready to see your will. Open our eyes, Lord, and illumine us. Grant this by your Holy Spirit. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I became a Christian, I was excited. And I am hoping that when you became a Christian, you were excited. Now, I was told to read the Word of God like we, like we tell people who have become Christians to read the Word of God. But I was not told how, how to do it. So, like many of you, I came up with my own way of doing it. The how of doing it. Now, others read the verses which they like from the Word of God. So, when you become a Christian, you may know these verses. Or you may see these verses that appeal to you. So you, you, you read them. Others read the verses that are famous. They are verses that we, you know, we hear and they appear famous to us. They are, they are, they are famous because they are said by, they, almost everyone says them. Now, I, I did my Bible reading a, a, a bit differently. I took my mother's Bible I looked at the verses that she had highlighted and I underlined them in my Bible. And then I started reading those ones. So every time I would go to my Bible, I would read those verses that I underlined from my, my mom's Bible that she had highlighted. Now, it's, it's good to underline verses in the Bible. But it's dangerous. You know that, eh? Dangerous. It make you think that some verses are better than others. Um, now <clears throat> all these people do is with the aim of knowing scripture, knowing the word of God with the hopes that they will know the will of God right? People, people want to know the word of God you know, they want to go somewhere and pull one verse you know, say one verse here and there and, and, and seem like they are biblically literate 
Now, the, the text that we have before us this morning tells us that we should seek to understand the will of God. One of the best questions that you could ever ask yourself in any given situation as a Christian is, what is the will of God for me in this situation? In fact, it would be true to say that the Christian is supposed to ask this question in any and every, every situation that he finds himself in any and everything that he does. We are to ask ourselves the question as believers, as the people of God, what is the will of God for me in this situation? So we do not only ask what is the will of God, we want to know the will of God for us in the situation that we are in. Now think with me as, this, as the sermon begins here. What are some questions that you ask yourself in different situations? When you're faced with different things, what are the questions that you ask yourself? You may ask, how do I feel in this situation? Hmm? You may ask, how does this that I'm going through make me feel? You may ask, is this thing bothering me? Is, is this situation bothering me? You may, you may also ask, how does this make others feel? Now, these are important questions to ask. And they should not by any means be overlooked. But um, make no mistake, these are not the most important questions. Good and helpful as they may be, they are not to be exalted above this one question. What is the will of God for me? What is the will of God for me in this situation? Every other question that we ask must be guided by this question. It would be true to say that if we ask this question, all those other questions may easily be dealt with as we deal with this particular question. It would also be true to say that if we ask all those other questions and we fail to ask this one question, it is all futile. We would, we would be making no meaningful progress in whatever situation we may be in. Because while we are asking the questions that seem to matter, we are failing to ask the one important question, which is, what is the will of God for, for me? What is the will of God for me in this situation? Now, the Christian is called to understand the will of God. And this is what I have titled my sermon this morning. The Christian is called to understand the will of God. When you ask the question, what, will, uh, what is the will of God for me in this situation? You ought not to be, to be looking for or seeking for some, you know, some mystical things, some sporadic revelations. Hmm? You, you, want to hear, you, you want to hear a certain voice. No, no. You should not be waiting for unpredictable voices to speak to you. No, what you should be seeking is what God has already revealed. So when you're asking what is the will of God, you should not sit and listen. You should sit and read the word of God. I'd like to bring to you two points from the, um, the, the verse that we will be considering. The verse there, verse 17, if you look there with me, it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, 
but understand the will understand what the will of the Lord is the two things that I'd like to see you there is number one you are not to be foolish and number two you are to understand the will of the Lord number one you are not to be foolish and number two you are to understand the will of the Lord or what the will of the Lord is so we look at those, those points one after the other number one do not be foolish. That verse there tells us, therefore, do not be foolish. Now, <clears throat> are you sometimes surprised at the authority that the word of God bears? It is just stated there with no apology whatsoever. It says, therefore, do not be foolish. Now, some of you will be offended if someone says this to your face, right? Someone comes to you and tells you, do not be foolish. Hey, you, you would wonder, who do you think you are? Or do you think you're very wise? But then the word of God makes no apologies when it makes certain statements. And that's what is happening here. It says, therefore, do not be foolish. Now, the apostle begins there with a connective, therefore. And this is to say, so then, or on account of this, because of what I have already told you, uh, because of what comes before, do not be foolish. Because of what, of what I've just told you, do not be foolish. And what comes before? This is what we considered last week. Hmm? Self-discipline in living, living the way that makes good use of time. There is great danger, Paul says, the days are evil. He says, wickedness is rampant. And because you are to look carefully how you walk, see there, that, that, that there in verse 15? Because you are to look carefully how you walk, do not therefore be foolish. You are wise when you make the best use of the time and when you realize that all of time is to be spent for the glory of God. And this is why then you are to seek to make the best use of time. It is in this context that he says, do not be foolish. So he says, do not. You see that do not there? It's a negative. Hmm? That he gets, he gets back to as he's already mentioned in verse 15. Look at verse 15. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise. You see that negative? It's as though he's saying, do not be unwise. In verse 17, he's saying, do not. Do not be foolish. Do not be unwise. Do not be foolish. In other words, this is how you should not look like this is how you should not walk like. Do not be foolish. So, while the Christian is called to walk in wisdom, walking in wisdom and being foolish are opposites, complete opposites. So he says, do not be foolish. So when he's calling us to walk in wisdom, he's also calling us to not walk in foolishness. The Greek word used here for foolish is the same one used to describe the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. In that parable of the rich fool. The one who is senseless. The one who is without reason. So when he says, uh, do not be foolish, it's that Greek word that means don't be senseless. Don't be without reason. The one who expresses want of sobriety. You lack soberness. 
listen to the parable of the rich fool. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 forward. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all, all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool. Now that's the word that the apostle uses here. Fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the fool that is described here. The one who thinks that they can live the way they please. They can do whatever they want. This is the fool. The fool is the one who does not look carefully how he or she walks. Isn't that what the, 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 that rich fool does? It doesn't matter what he, he does. He is he's rich now. He has everything. He wants to eat. He wants to drink. He wants to be merry. He wants to enjoy. The fool is the one who does not make the best use of his time. The fool is the one who thinks that there, there is time. Even worse, the fool does not seek to understand the will of God. No, no. The fool just lives. The fool thinks that he knows tomorrow. The Apostle Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 5, Do not be foolish. Do not be like that. Don't be senseless. Don't walk as though you know tomorrow. What tomorrow holds. Hmm? Don't be without reason. Don't lack soberness. Don't be a fool. Listen to the psalmist talking about the fool in Psalm 92. Psalm 92 verse 5 to, verse 5 to 9. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all, uh, and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high. For, for behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. You hear the fool? The fool does not know the thoughts of God, does not understand the will of God, does not seek to know the will of God. The fool goes on with his life. The wise man in Proverbs 18 verse 2 tells us, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. And you hear those words of the Apostle Paul there. Don't be a fool, don't be foolish, but do what? Understand the will of God. The fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Fools don't want the commandments of God. They don't want the will of God. Fools want their own way. 
Proverbs chapter 10 verse 14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of, of, of a fool brings ruin near. So, so, so these Proverbs are constantly contrasting foolishness and knowledge. Foolishness and understanding. Understanding the will of God. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flounts his folly. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, knowledge. But the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Lastly, Proverbs 24 verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. You hear that? Wisdom, knowledge. The gates, he does not open his mouth. So the fool is the one that is not concerned with the will of God. He's not concerned with the way he walks. He's not careful. We saw this. He's not wise. He does not make the best use of the time. He does not consider that the days are evil. And, and that then should inform the way he walks, but it doesn't. That's how a fool looks like. The apostle tells us there, do not be foolish. The fool does not wish to understand what God's will could be. They just leave, not considering that they ought to walk wisely, which is the command being given here from verse 15. So the fool just walks. Believers are not to be like this. The apostle makes, makes it clear there that Christians are not to be foolish. He's telling the Ephesian saints, do not be foolish. Don't walk like this. Understand what the will of the Lord is, which is our second point. Number two, understand the will of the Lord. Understand the will of the Lord. Look at that verse again, if you will. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, unfortunately, whether you know it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, some of you are more concerned with your feelings. <clears throat> some of you are more concerned with your emotions, your, your own wants, your own will, than what the will of God is. So, so when we hear the apostle say, but understand what the will of the Lord is, he's saying there are things that you're thinking about there are feelings that you have. There are ways that you think are, are better. But your business as a Christian is to understand the will of God. You may be going through difficult things, different things in your own life. Wondering what job should I take? Who should I marry? What route should I take? The Christian is commanded here to understand the will of the Lord. So that even, even though... We may be concerned with our feelings, our emotions, our wants. More than the will of God, the word of God is here to remind us, to tell us, no, no, that's not how you ought to think. Do not be foolish. Understand the will of the Lord, what it is. Look at verse 10 of Ephesians 5. Let me read from verse, um, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then now he goes ahead to tell them how they are to walk. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I want you to follow the, the thought here. And then he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What is pleasing to the Lord is his will. What is pleasing to the Lord is told us there in the previous verse. It is that which is good. That which is right, 
that which is true. The wisdom that the Christian ought to seek, or how the Christian becomes wise, is by trying to understand what the will of the Lord is. Trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, as we are told there in verse 10. The apostle gives us the, the other connective there, the word but. So the word but here communicates contrast. Contrast from what has been communicated before. And so then the apostle says, do not be foolish, but. Then he gives us how we are to walk, understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he go, goes ahead to tell us how a Christian ought to look, how a Christian ought to be, what a Christian ought to do which is to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the word understand here means, you know, bring together, make sense of, understand, apprehend. Hmm? It's more than knowing. It is perceiving. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, others may ask, what, what will bring me pleasure? What will bring me earthly honor? Others may ask, what will bring me earthly ease? What will bring me earthly uh, uh, gain? But Christians are called here to ask, what does God require? What does God require? What is the will of God? So in whatever situation that you find yourself, the command to understand the will of God grants that you ask yourself the question, what does God require? What is the will of God? What will bring God the most glory? Now, we do want to listen to other people's counsel, but the Christian is not to depend on other people's counsel as the ultimate standard of truth. While we receive what other people tell us, we want to ask, what does the Word of God say? Is this counsel at par with the Word of God? The Christian is called to depend on the will of God as the ultimate standard. And this will can only be known from where? From the word of God. It can only be known from the scriptures. So that the Christian can only know the will of God by searching the scriptures. Searching the word of God. And this is where I ask you a question. How much do you search the scriptures? How much do you look for the will of God? Now, you may be looking for the will of God in all the wrong places. You may be hoping to get a dream. You may be hoping to hear a voice. You may be hoping to find someone there and they, they tell you something that seems very, you know, revelatory. But revelation, the will of God, is in the word of God. So that as a Christian, you, you understand the will of God by paying attention to the word of God. This is where the will of God is contained. Now, let me just say by passing that God has a sovereign will, God has a preceptive will, and God has an affective will. God has a sovereign will, He has a preceptive will, and He has an affective will. Let me explain what I mean. God has a sovereign will, His will of decree. God has already determined this. When we say the sovereign will of God, we mean that which God has already determined. It must happen. It cannot be thwarted. It cannot be stopped. This, this is his plan. He works all things according to what? 
according to the counsel of his will. His salvation of his people by Christ. The return of the Savior. Such things are his sovereign decree. They must happen. No one can stop them. This is the will that, we, that when we read, we know about. We hear it. We are not to question it. We submit to it. We may also call this his secret will. We don't know it. It's only him who knows it. It's only him who has decreed it. We know that Christ will return. Full stop. No questions are to be asked. It is of no use to try to know when will he come back. And many people have gotten into many errors by trying to interpret the sovereign will of God. The will of God is that Christ is going to come back. But we do not know when it will be. We know that God is going to save his people through the preaching of the gospel. But it is not our business trying to wonder, and, and who may the elect be? That's none of our business. The sovereign will of God is that he saves his people through the preaching of the gospel. This is the sovereign will of God. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be resisted. We are to trustingly submit to it. Listen to the psalmist. Uh, this beloved psalm. 115 verse 3 our God is in the heavens he does all that he pleases that's his sovereign will listen to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 through 11 God says I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel you hear that counsel is his sovereign will. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. His sovereign will. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, God says, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. No one is going to stop, to stop it. That's his sovereign will. Listen to James. James chapter 4 verse 13 to 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's only God in his sovereign will that knows. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now listen to verse 15. It says, instead, you ought to say what? If the Lord wills, because it's the Lord who has his sovereign purposes. It's the will of God that ought to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is your, it is your, uh, and as it is, sorry, as it is, you boast in your ignorance. All such boasting is evil. We do not know the sovereign will of God. We just submit, we submit what seems like it. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of, of this law. So, so the sovereign will of God is a secret, secret will. Those secret things that belong to him alone. So then following closely is what we have there in Deuteronomy 29, 29 the revealed will of God. So you have his sovereign will then you have the revealed will of God or his perceptive will. God's will of precept. And we know it because he has given, he given it to us in his word. So, so when you read, when the psalmist says, the precepts of the Lord are right. They are true. 
That's the preceptive will of God. God has given commands which should be submitted to. So we know it because God has given it to us in his word. He has said it clearly that this is my will for you. These are the commandments that he gives to us that he wants us to obey. And these ones can be resisted, right? Isn't it? God says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, but that by testing you may discern what, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those things that are good and acceptable and perfect are not done by everyone, everywhere, at every time. The preceptive will of God, His revealed will, as He has given it to us, can be, can be um, destroyed, if you will. It can be resisted. God says, do not. And we refuse. We do. God says, do this. We refuse. We, f- we fail to do it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. For this is the will of God. So his revealed will is given to us clearly. God says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. We know that it can be resisted because sexual immorality uh, uh, ravages our land, right? That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. We know that the will of God is to rejoice always. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. And so, from the day we had, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the apostle is saying, we may know, we may continue to know his revealed will. We may know it more and more and more that we may live in a manner that pleases him. This is the revealed will of God. Lastly, we have Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that we may know him. And this, this is that we may know his will. This is his revealed will. So when the apostle says, understand what the will of the Lord is, he's saying, find out from his word what God requires of you. He's not telling you to go determine his sovereign will. He's telling you to know his revealed will. And then lastly, we have the effective will of God. His will of desire, if you will. This has to do with his disposition. So the Bible says that it does not please him, um, that he does not enjoy it when the wicked dies. He does not wills. Sorry, he does not will. That's what the Bible says. He does not will that any should perish. That's his will of disposition. What we are being told here is to understand the revealed will of God. Know what God has revealed and do it. Live in it. Now let me, let me ask you here. How much are you seeking to understand God's revealed will? God has given us his will in his word. How much are you seeking to understand it? You know, as opposed to being foolish, how much are you seeking to understand 
What is the will of God for my life in this situation? And the will of God for, for us, that he has revealed to us, is clear. He has told us. And, and this is what I'm going to give you as the applications today. What is the will of God? Christian is called to understand the will of God. If you do not constantly ask yourself this question, be careful. You may be found living for your own will, living for your own self. Even worse, you may be found walking foolishly rather than wisely. Foolishly rather than understanding the will of God, perceiving that which God has given. So, so, so how much? Let me ask you again. Are you seeking to submit what, to what God has already said? You know that God has said you abstain from sexual immorality. Are you seeking to abstain from that? You know that God has said you give thanks always. You pray without ceasing. You rejoice always. Are you seeking to live like that? As you're going to see later on, or next week, God says, do not get drunk with wine. Do you get drunk? God tells husbands to love their wives. God tells wives to submit to their husbands. Now, the duty of the Christian is to ask, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for me in this situation? And to do it. That's why the apostle then says, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. When we pray for our brethren, we ought to never forget to pray for them like this, that God may help them to understand his will. That's how the apostle prays for, for people. He asks God, be merciful to them. Help them to understand. He says, I do not cease to pray for you, that you may know, you may increase in the knowledge of Christ. You may know him. You may understand his will. So that you may walk in a manner that is fully pleasing to him. That's how we ought to pray for others. Someone comes to you and says, Isaiah, please pray for me. I lack this and this. I'm in need of money. I'm in need of a job. The way you are to pray for them is that God may for sure provide for them what they need, but even more, that they may understand what the will of the Lord is. That they may know what God requires of them. Because they may get a job in Iraq and it would not be the will of God for them to go there. Would it? There's no, there's no church. There are no Christians. So, so on top of, on top of are praying for on top of praying for what people need we pray that they may know the will of God that they may understand it that they may perceive that they may apprehend what the will of God is they may take hold of it and they may live in light of it because what else is there what else is there for them to live for why are they understanding it that they may live in light of it Let's make a few applications here. And what I'm seeking to answer here is, what is the will of God? I'm going to give you a few things. Number one, 
God's will is that his people be saved. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's will is that his people be saved. Now, I must say here that not wishing that any, the any there is the people of God, the ones that Peter is writing to. But that all should reach repentance. The all there are those that, those that are being written to. Not everyone everywhere that has ever lived. Number two, God's will is that his people be filled with the Spirit. God's will is that his people be filled with the Spirit. This is what we will be considering next week. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. The next verse there says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But do what? Be filled with the Spirit. So everywhere we see the word of God say, saying, be filled, be like this, do this, don't do this. That is the will of God. In this case, God's will is that his people be filled with the Spirit. Number three, God's will is that his people be thankful always. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give, giving thanks, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is that his people be thankful always, praying always, giving thanks always, rejoicing always, because this is his will for them. The will of God, number four, is that his people be rid of worldliness. This is what we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? And you find the will of God in those things. And that's what he says here in verse 9. For the fruit of light, now that you are you're children of light, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Number five, God's will is that his people be submissive. God's will is that his people be submissive. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. The will of God is that his people be submissive. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Are you hear you hear there in Peter similar language with what the apostle says. You know the will of God to be is to be submissive, and when you do the will of God, you put to silence the the foolish the ignorance of foolish people. When you are understanding the will of God, you are not among these foolish people. Rather, you are putting their ignorance to silence. Number six. God's will is that his people suffer faithfully. God's will is that his people suffer faithfully. Away with the, the, the teaching that Christians should not suffer or must not suffer. It is um, vast ignorance at best and extreme wickedness at worst to say that Christians must not suffer. It is vast ignorance of the word of God not seeing that Christians have suffered in God's word. 
it is extreme wickedness in thinking that God is, is there for you. God is not there for you. God is there for himself. So, so, so God's will is that his people, not, not that his people suffer, but they, they suffer faithfully. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We are to be subject. Whether they are fair or unfair, we, we are subject to them. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And the Apostle Paul says this after narrating to them how he has, he has suffered in the Lord as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, hear that language? According to God's will, and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God's will is that we suffer faithfully. Number seven, lastly, God's will is that his people be sanctified. God's will is that his people be sanctified. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. For this is the will of God. Very clear, very direct. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body. In holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Again, similar language. We're not to walk like the Gentiles. Who do not know God. The will of God is that we be sanctified. That we walk in sexual purity. And how are you to be pure? The psalmist says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By, by guarding it according to your word. By hiding the word of God in our hearts. Do you hear how intertwined these things are? We keep our way pure by hiding God's word in our hearts. We know the will of God. We understand it by searching the word of God. When we hide it, we are sanctified. When we hide it, we suffer faithfully. When we hide it in our hearts, we walk the way God requires us to walk. When we hide in our hearts, we become submissive. We are rid of worldliness. We become thankful. We pray without ceasing. When we hide the word of God in our hearts, we are filled with the Spirit of God. Now, we will see next week. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean... It's not as though you take a jar of water and you feel... The way you feel something. No, no. It is being controlled by the Spirit of God. And the way that control comes is through the Word of God. By having the Word of God dwell in us richly and that then controlling us, being filled with the Spirit. We understand the will of God like that. We go to the Word of God, we are saved. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Let me finish by asking you a question here. How, how are you seeking to understand the will of God? And with that question, I give you a solution. Ask God to teach you His will. Ask God to teach you His will. The psalmist in Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me 
on level ground. You have to seek to understand the will of God. That's, that's the call that the Christian is given. What better place to start than to ask God to teach you his will? If God is your God, ask him to teach you his will. And then delve into the scriptures and you will understand his will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Your will is clear in your word. Your will is that we go out with the gospel, that we proclaim to the dying world. Your will is that your people be saved. Your will is that we be sanctified. Your will is that we suffer faithfully. Oh, grant that we would understand your will, Lord. Help us to feed upon your word so much so that it would be overflowing that we would be we would we would have clear eyesight we would know the will of god in whatever situation we are faced with because we we have the word of god dwelling richly in us oh lord grant that we would not be foolish Keep us from that careless walking. Help us to look carefully how we walk, to walk wisely, to walk, walk in, in, in wisdom. Not, not as unwise, not as foolish, but intelligently. Grant, O oh Lord, that we would make the best use of the time. We would seek to understand your will more and more and more by exposing ourselves to your word. Bless us with these things, Lord. Be glorified in your church with these very truthful words. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.